0: Amen, amen. Well, I'm going to get right into the Word with you today. For those of you that have been with us through this Advent season, you know we've been walking through some themes of Advent, and each Sunday we're lighting a lamp post. Today we're going to light up for the fourth time this lamp of hope. It's where we began because the Word of God says, hope is an anchor for the soul. And Colossians tells us that that hope is anchored in the promises of God's Word. And then the next week, we we lit up this lamp of love. And as we light love again today, we said this, if if hope is the anchor for the soul, then love is the sail. Love is that thing that makes us refuse to keep the good news to ourselves. Paul said it like this, the love of Christ compels me, puts wind in my sails, forces me to go outside of myself and to bring the gospel to others. That's Love that we light up this Christmas season. And then the third lamp that we lit was this lamp of joy. And I thank God for the promise in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, because it says this the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, a lot of times we feel like we have to fight for joy. We have to fight to keep joy, but that promise says we can fight from a place of joy. We don't have to fight for joy. Joy is our strength, and God wants to do that. And Did you sense God doing that in that worship time we just had? Just sense the joy of the Lord coming back and strengthening his people again. Well, today, on the last Sunday before Christmas, we're going to turn up the lamp of peace. and As we light up this light of peace today... I want to give you a promise that Jesus gave in John chapter 14. This is for you. He spoke it to his disciples on the night of his betrayal. He said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, you don't need to hold on to the gift receipt. I don't give the way the world gives. I don't give the wrong size. I don't give the wrong color. I I give just the right amount. I give perfect peace. I don't give the way the world gives. I give a lasting peace. It doesn't expire. You don't have to throw it away or re-gift it. I give you perfect peace. And then he goes on to say, do not lose heart or do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. I want to tell you today, there are three dimensions to peace it is multifaceted. It's three-dimensional. And the first, uh, the first dimension of peace is peace with God. That's what is available. That's the offer that's on the table today. peace with God. The second dimension is peace with others, that God wants to reconcile broken relationships. And the third area of peace is peace within. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle writes about this peace, and he includes all three of them. So I just want to read this passage to you in Ephesians 2 verse 13. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. That's peace with God, to say that you and I were far from God, but only Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can be brought near. We can be reconciled to God. God and sinner reconciled. That's what we sing in this season. It's peace with God. But then he goes on to say, He who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his own flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, Jesus, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So what, what Paul is saying is that there's, there was all these rules and regulations that the Jews followed, but now the Gentiles are coming to Christ, and they, they, weren't, they weren't a part of David's root. They, they weren't a part of, of the lineage. They weren't God's chosen people. They didn't follow all the customs, and so there was this barrier. How many of you know there shouldn't be racial division in the kingdom of God? Come on, that ought to get a strong amen from Wrightsville Assembly of God. Listen, he said, I have come not just to bring peace between you and God, but I've come to tear down the barrier walls of hostility. I've come to make two people one. And he said, this is the purpose for which I came. Not just to to make you feel good about your relationship with God or your eternity, but to allow you to have and experience peace in your relationships. And then he goes a step farther and he says in verse 17, he came and he preached peace. To you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Let me back up to verse 16. I missed one. He said, And in one body Jesus came to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Now that's key, because a lot of times we can outwardly, we we can feign peace. We can pretend to have peace. We can be polite. But he said when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just reconcile you with God. He didn't just restore relationships with others. It says he came to put to death the hostility that was in your heart. Jesus comes to give us peace within. It's three-dimensional, and I don't know what kind of peace you need today, but I want you to lean in with faith and believe that it it can be yours, that God has a promise of peace for you, and so before we get into the Old Testament book of Isaiah, I want to take a moment. I want to invite a very special guest up here. Uh, I've invited George and Jan Krebs to be with us this morning, and George is coming now. He directs our kids ministries in Pendel, but he's also the director of the Benjorno Conference Center. And I want you to hear about some of the ways that peace is coming through this ministry.
1: Thank you, Pastor. It's a joy to be here. I leaned over to my wife after the second service, and I said, can we come here? <laughs> we go to a church that my son-in-law pastors don't want to offend him, but the, we, just, we just enjoy coming here and enjoy your pastor. I want to thank you, Wrightsville Assembly, as well as Pastor Aaron for the invitation. Um, it's, it's a real privilege to be here and share about the Bonjourno Conference Center. Uh, we're located in Carlisle. And it is your conference center. It is owned by the Pendel District of the Assemblies of God. You're one of 411 churches in that Pendel District. And so you're really part owner of it. And it's your place. And your kids have come there for camps and retreats, and your youth for camps and retreats, and uh, your leaders for training. I've seen your pastors there for different events that we've held for ministers. And it's a great place. But I want to give you a little bit of history about the Bonjourno Conference Center. For once, it, it's not named after a pizza company. I, I should have said that the first, second service. I didn't, but Bonjourno was named after Philip Bonjourno, our district superintendent, who was retired about 20 years ago. And it was his vision to purchase this property and make it into a place for us to go and to get rest and renewal. And the property was originally owned in 1900 by a Mr. John Linder, a businessman in Carlisle, who was a shoe manufacturer. And uh, he was a millionaire even back in the early 1900s. And he called it the Forest Hills Estate. And it was his summer home, his summer playground. Big, beautiful mansion was built there. And a a nine-hole golf course, the third oldest golf course in Pennsylvania. A beautiful piece of property. But something happened in the early 1900s. It was called World War I. And when our soldiers came back, World War I ended in 1918. Soldiers came back, and they were suffering greatly. In those days, it was trench warfare. And uh, they never saw such atrocities of destruction to the human body and to cities. And it was horrible. And they came back with post-traumatic stress syndrome. And these guys were just hurting. And they knew they just couldn't put them back into the public. And so Mr. Linder saw this. And he, in partnership with the Carlisle War College and one of the generals there, formed what they called Camp Linder and made this property into a camp for soldiers to go and to convalesce before returning home. They could get rest and renewal, and they could find peace while they were there. They'd play sports and games and golf and swim, and it was just a great place for soldiers to Get back their lives. As a matter of fact, my maintenance team there was doing some digging and we found this huge piece of granite. It was a cornerstone and engraved in it, it said Camp Linder, World War 1918. Because they did not know it about World War I because they thought this was the war to end all wars. You know, God ordained that property way back then for the purpose of rest, renewal, peace, and putting people back into this world. There are several brochures, there's a whole stack of brochures on a table out there in the foyer that contain several testimonies, and I want you to look at those later on, as you leave, you can take one with you. But I want to share about some life-changing testimonies that I've encountered recently. About eight weeks ago, I was talking to one of the vice presidents of Teen Challenge, which is a faith-based Assemblies of God Drug Rehabilitation Center, and they were telling me that uh, all the things that they do to help people get off of drugs and alcohol and every inner society, and I said, well, thank you for what you do for the kingdom, and she said, well, you're with Bonjourno Conference Center. Thank you for what you do for the kingdom. She says, I'm an ag girl. I went there as a kid for kids camp and youth camp, and, and God put a call in my life, and now here I am serving God in this capacity, and a week later, I had a lady call me, and she's an older lady, not quite my age because I'm really old, but she called and said, hey, I'm a brand new children's leader in my church. And can we have some information about one of the kids' retreats? We want to bring our kids there. And I shared the information, and and I shared with her, it's held at the Bonjourno Conference Center in Carlisle. She goes, I know that place. She goes, I went there in 1988 as an 8-year-old girl, and I gave my heart to Jesus, and I pledged to live for God my whole life. And here I am today, still involved in my church. You know, God moves on lives like that. Many, many testimonies. World War I ended in 1918. But something else happened in 1918, a worldwide pandemic with the Spanish flu that killed millions. Today, we're in a war again, and it's not a war with politics, and it's not a war with race relations. It's a war with an enemy, a spiritual enemy that would like to destroy us. The COVID pandemic of 2020 has also been difficult, as you know. We just got worried between services that a friend of ours passed away late last night from COVID. They've been in the hospital. It's a spiritual war. Because of the shutdowns that have taken place, the Philip Bond Journal Conference Center has lost over nine hundred and thirty five thousand dollars in revenue. And we're not the only ones. There are campgrounds all around and conference centers and retreat centers all through Pennsylvania. They predict half of those conference centers, Christian campgrounds, will close by the end of this year, never to open their doors again. You see, they're a nonprofit, and there's no plan B for them. We're fortunate that we're associated with a denomination that has helped us. It's a very difficult time. You know, we don't want to give the enemy this victory. On these hollowed grounds in Carlisle, and I believe they're hollow grounds, we have seen children, youth, college age, young adult, senior saints come and have their lives transformed by the power of the gospel, and lives are changed. We are still in the life change business. We started something last year. We called it Friends of Bongino, and that's where this brochure comes from. And this was our attempt to begin a partnership with churches and individuals for Bon Conference Center. Little do we know in 2019, just how strategic and how important that partnership would be with the financial blessings we've received in 2020. I wanna close with one more story of life change that happened when I was there one one weekend. It's a story of a little boy. I was speaking to children and we were talking about missions and we're gonna do something a little different and so, we thought we were going to give these kids the greatest missions banquet they've ever had. We told those boys and girls, you're going to eat like kids around the world. It's going to be great tonight. And so they walked into the dining hall, and we gave them each one scoop of white rice. Yeah, that's not, that's not, not appetizing at all. And it was the quietest that dining room has ever been. 400 boys and girls sitting down at tables, not saying a word, just staring. Well, oh, they said some things later on. We brought them back into the sanctuary for the service that night. We said, well, how was dinner? Got a lot of booze. Ooh, no, boo. Well, one of my little boy said, my dad paid a lot of money for me to come here, and that's all I get is rice. So we said, how'd that make you feel? Not good. Ripped off. We didn't like it. I said, how do you think kids around the world feel when that's all they get is a scoop of white rice a day? And they got quiet again. I said, how do you think God feels? And he looks down and sees that. Boys and girls, what do you think God wants us to do about it? Went on with our service. And that night, we were taking an offering. And we do our offerings a little different. We just put an old cardboard box right down on the platform. And the boys and girls come down and put their offering in the box. We went to receive the offering. and We prayed. We put some music on. And the boys and girls were coming down. And there's a little boy in the second or third row. I can't remember quite what. He's about a second or third grader. He could have been a little cute little kid. He could have been a little Aaron McNatt, for all I know. (laughs) And he comes walking down, and in one hand, he had a handful of change. In his other hand, he had a $5 bill. And he came up to me and he said, Pastor, the change is for my offering, but the $5 bill is for my snack bar tonight. And I'm hungry because I hate rice. I don't know which one I should put in the offering. I said, I'm sorry, I can't tell you which one. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you. Go back and sit in the seat and just pray for a few minutes. Before the offering's over, you can come back. He went back to his seat and the music played and boys and girls were coming down as we received the offering. And Finally, a little boy gets up and I look over and he's sitting there before he gets up. He's crying, tears running down his face. And he comes up to that cardboard box and he holds one hand out with change and one hand with a $5 bill. And he does this. And he puts them both in. He sacrificed his offering. And he sacrificed food that night for the need. That day, I realized that young man got it. God did something in his heart. And it later showed up in his behavior. He gave it all. He realized God had a plan for his life. You know... God has a plan for our lives too, and he has a plan for the Philip Journal Conference Center. I want to thank you, Wrightsville Assembly, for all you've done and the way your church participates in, in coming to camps and retreats and other venues that we do. Thank you. We're still in the life change business. Thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity to share.
0: Praise God. Thank you so much, Pastor George. You know, um, I wasn't that kid, but I was one of those kids, and I could take you to the spot on the carpet where where I stood there answering an altar call as a middle schooler, and one of the college-age volunteers from the University of Valley Forge came and placed his hands on both my little bony shoulders. He said, what's your name? I told him, my name's Aaron, and he said, Aaron, Aaron was Moses' brother. He's a spokesperson. You're going to be a voice for God. And I didn't believe that <laughs> Adam, as a middle schooler. But you know what? That young adult prophet was right. And I could take you to another spot on that carpet where I prayed with my best friend, as a 12-year-old. And I watched Jesus baptize him with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Time and time again, God is calling people at this place. And I, I thank you again, uh, George and Jan. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for the atmosphere you create. Because we need peace, don't we? We need those moments. And you know, apparently we're not real good at peace. I mean, uh, the statistics would say so. It's not just us Americans in 2020 that have this weird, you know, masochistic attraction to conflict. It's, it's world history for as long as they've been keeping track Of the numbers, historians tell us that only 8% of the time since history has been recorded has the world been entirely at peace. Only 8% of the time. In over 3,100 years, only 286 have been warless. And in those 286 years, 8,000 treaties were broken. We don't know how to keep peace. The armistice that was signed on November 11th, 1918, ending that war to end all wars. It was a a ceasefire of war on land and sea and air. From the time that that was signed in 1918, for every one year of war in the world, we've had two minutes of peace. And so 750 years before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem's manger, the world looked a lot like it does today. And the prophet Isaiah spoke a word to the people of that day, and I believe it is a word for you and for me. It's probably a word you're going to be familiar with. You probably have this word on a Christmas card hanging in your house right now. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now I want to just take some time today to focus in on that last name that was given to Jesus. In the Hebrew, Prince of Peace is Shar Shalom. Sar shalom. The, the word sar is the same root that we get, Caesar or a czar. In other words, the word Tsar means a leader, a ruler, someone who is the captain, someone who is in charge. And Isaiah says that Jesus is coming as the czar shalom. That word shalom, it's more than just an absence of conflict. That word means wholeness. It means completeness, health, perfection, safety. So Jesus is Our Sar Shalom, or we could say it this way, Jesus is the captain of our wholeness. Jesus is the Lord of tranquility. He's the president of perfection. Jesus is the commander of our lives in every way. He is the Sar Shalom. And Isaiah said, it's for unto us that this child was born, and it's to us. Us that the son was given. Lest anyone wonder why the church gets so excited. It's because we know why he came. It's for us. And there are four gospels that communicate the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection. But Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, who wrote 750 years earlier, is often referred to as the fifth gospel. He's the fifth gospel writer because... He speaks so profoundly about the life of Jesus as our Savior. And Jesus even quoted Isaiah more than any other Old Testament book. So today what I want to do at the time that we have left is I want to give you one promise that God spoke to Isaiah about Jesus. And I want to challenge you today. Whatever dimension of peace that you're lacking in your life, would you grab a hold of this word? And let it take root in a heart of faith today. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. He says this. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, I don't know how your year has gone, but there's plenty of days I would have settled for imperfect peace. I would have settled for partial peace. You know, just mediocre peace even would have been good on some days. Anybody with me on that? Like just But this word says he will keep in perfect peace. Now that word perfect in the original language is complete. It's wholeness. Perfect. Nothing missing. And I've already told you what the word peace is in the language. It's complete. It's wholeness. It's perfect. So what this verse actually says is you will keep in Peace, peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Shalom, shalom. Now, listen, if God says something just one time, how many of you know that's important enough? You know, it matters. If God says it once, it matters. You know, He only said one time, let there be light. Aren't you glad the power never went out? Once is enough with God. But listen, if He says it more than once, if He says something twice, I think we ought to pay attention. I think there's something God wants us to understand about the peace that He offers. I was thinking about the story even this week of of Moses when he went to the burning bush after 40 years of not living in the will of God. Finally, the burning bush ignited and God got his attention. And what did God say? Moses, Moses. He called him twice. He wanted to make sure he knew you need to hear what I'm about to say. It's time to deliver my people. I love the story in Zechariah about Zerubbabel, who God had called to rebuild the temple. Solomon built the first temple, and he had resources, he had wealth, he had workers, he had lumber and and materials and all those things. And now Zerubbabel is called to rebuild the temple, and he doesn't have any of that. In fact, he he has a mountain of obstacles in front of him. And the Lord prophesies to him through Zechariah, and it says this in Zechariah 4, 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. In other words, all of the opposition that's in your way, all the things that seem like they're making this an impossibility, aren't you glad that God can make molehills out of mountains? He says, what are you, mighty mountain? This, nothing's too hard for God. This is not a difficult thing. And then he says this. There's going to come a moment, he says, then he, Zerubbabel, will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. In other words, in that moment, Zerubbabel was discouraged about the, the size of the challenge in front of him. But the Lord speaks to him and says, get this in your mind. Zerubbabel, you're going you're to finish the project. You're going to bring the capstone, and you're going to set it out. And when you do, it's going to be to the shouts of grace, grace. The Lord spoke twice so that Zerubbabel knew that God would finish the work that he starts by his spirit. And maybe some of you need to hear that word today. God has said it twice to you. He wants you to know that peace, peace can be yours. In spite of all things you're facing and everything you're unsure of, peace, peace is yours. I remember the story in Genesis when God gave Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And and some of you remember that story. The Pharaoh, the ruler, had, had a dream of of seven fattened cows and then seven ugly lean cows. And in his dream, the lean cows ate and consumed the fattened cows. And then he had another dream of seven healthy grains of uh, grain growing on a stalk. And then seven withered heads of grain that were scorched by the east wind. And in his dream, the withered grains overcame the healthy ones. And Pharaoh said, "What's, what's the interpretation of these dreams? And Joseph understood something. He said, Pharaoh, you you had the same dream twice. Both dreams mean the same thing. And See, Joseph understood the significance of when God wants to say something two times to get your attention. And here's the explanation that he gave Pharaoh in Genesis 41. He said, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Can I tell you, if you're here today and you're hearing this word and you lack peace in your life, God is saying to you, peace, peace. He's saying, I've firmly decided my peace is for you and I'm bringing it soon. It's for you today. Peace, peace. Look at that verse again in Isaiah 26, because there's a stipulation for this peace. He says, he'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. To be steadfast, the word is samak. It means to have a focus that gives whatever necessary to remain in that state. Have you done whatever necessary in 2020 to remain in a state of peace? I gotta be honest. I've had some days where I've really done well and I've had some days I've really not done well. And if I look at 2020 in hindsight, I can promise you, my word for the year wouldn't be vision. It wouldn't be clarity. The word to describe this year would be distraction. Hasn't this been a year of incredible distraction? I mean, I think about some of the, 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 The Christians that I know, people that I'm doing life with and sharing faith with in the kingdom. And I know of some men and women like myself called into the ministry, called to build the kingdom of God, who have divided their effectiveness for the kingdom in half based on party lines. Red or blue. Democrat or Republican. And somewhere in all this, we've been so distracted by what's happened in this year that it's so much about the right wing or it's so much about the left wing that we've forgotten that the kingdom of God reigns over the whole bird. It's not about the right or the left. We're distracted. We've missed the purpose and the call. We have people that are given to conspiracy theories and speculations whether you want to believe those things or not is up to you, but it's a dangerous place when they begin to motivate our decisions instead of the authority of God's Word. And I'm seeing people being, being tossed back and forth by information that has moved them off of the strength of God's Word. It's distracting. I'm, I'm talking about people that I know that, like me, have lived their whole lives believing in the imminence of Christ's second coming. They're living in anticipation of the second advent when Jesus will come again. And yet in this season, because of all of the hysteria and all of the news, those who are expecting that the next event on God's end time calendar is going to be the catching away of the church, suddenly are are, are storing cans of food and toilet paper and they're preparing for some apocalyptic event. And I look at that and I have to wonder. When when did we mistake God's great commandment to think that we're supposed to hide out and wait for a great escape? The great commission is not to hide out and wait for an escape. It's to be sold out and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Matthew 25 says, and then the end will come. So listen, we can hide out in a bunker and see how it goes, or we can get on the front lines and bring on the kingdom. But we're distracted. I think about families that have left our church this year because we chose to suspend our weekend worship gatherings for 14 weeks during a global health crisis. They, 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 they cut ties. can said, we, we, can't, we can't walk with you together. And people have told me. They've said, Pastor, we got to keep the church open. We can't let them close us down. Can I just remind all of his church, we were never commanded to keep the church open. We were commanded to love our neighbor. And so when all the local businesses had to close down and all of our kids had to come home from school and professional sports were canceled and concert tours were shut down, And the only silver lining that we could hold on to in the midst of it all is that if we all do our part, we're going to flatten the curve. We chose in that moment not to take a stand for our rights, but to take a stand on love for our neighbor and say, you know what, we'll join with you. It's not that we can't meet, it's that we're going to join with you. and You know what, we'll voluntarily quarantine and do our part to help out. But, But so many in the kingdom miss that, Why? Not because our methods are better than somebody else's, but because we're distracted. Because suddenly it became about something other than what we're called to. To love our neighbor. And some have even gone so far as to call what we're experiencing persecution of the church. Church, can I tell you, we're not being persecuted. God help us if the underground churches around the world who are risking life and limb together in Jesus' name, ever find out that we called what we experienced in America in 2020, persecution, while we sat with plenty of toilet paper and Netflix and church online and air conditioning and, and on and on and on it goes. God help us. If any of the martyrs in heaven get wind of this idea that we called it persecution, when their bloodstains paved the roads that brought the gospel to our shore. We'll be the laughingstock of heaven. We're not persecuted, church. We're distracted. We're distracted. God wants us to be steadfast. I love the way the ESV translation says that verse because it replaces the word steadfast with one that gives clarity to it. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In other words, steadfastness is not just about having a changeless mind. It's about having a mind that's fixed on Jesus. It's not just saying I'm immovable. It's saying I'm, I'm fixed on Jesus Christ and I'm gonna give whatever is necessary to stay focused On Christ in this season I got to be honest for some of us that's going to take some decisions we're gonna have to we're gonna have to change some things if you're gonna stay focused on Christ in this season you you may have to turn off the news if you're gonna stay focused on Christ you might have to do a little social media fast I love you but I can't listen to you anymore (laughs) you know call me we'll talk some of you, I, I know it's Christmas season, but, but you, might have to, you might have to change the station from Bing back to Bethel and get your praise on a little bit in the middle of the week. Because you've got you to do whatever's necessary to be steadfast, to have your gaze fixed on Christ. See that, that word steadfast? It also means to lean completely, to put your full weight on something you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are leaning completely on Christ. You know, it's hard to admit, but the, the truth is sometimes we just don't believe God. Or we believe in God, but we don't believe God. How many know there's a difference? We, we just we doubt his faithfulness. We don't trust the process. Maybe he didn't do it when we thought he should have, but there's moments in our life where we fall short of faith in God, and that can be the very thing that steals our peace because we're not leaning completely. That's what Proverbs 3, 5 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In other words, saying, don't do the very opposite of being steadfast. Don't lean on your own understanding. Can can you imagine how different this year might have been if you just didn't lean on your own understanding about the efficiency of a mask? I'm just going to say it all now. It's the last service. I mean, we're all leaving after this. We're all leaving, so, you know, you can't really walk out on me. I'm going home, too. How different would this year have been had you not leaned on your own understanding about politics or elections or systemic racism? Now, I'm not saying don't be informed. I'm not saying don't try to understand. I'm not saying don't pursue wisdom. I'm saying don't lean on it because I can't speak for you, but I can for me. This year, my mind has been like a space heater on oscillation mode. I'm just, whoo. You talk to me on Sunday, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm telling you, this is what's happening." And then, you know, Thursday, the governor makes an announcement. I'm like, "You know, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe, maybe we should, you know, maybe." And then I'm back over here on Saturday because I'm ready to preach it. You know, it's been back and forth, and I don't claim to have full understanding on any of this, but I know enough to know I can't lean on it because when you lean on something that's tending to move, you tend to fall. Lean not on your own understanding. The message that Isaiah spoke prophetically, the angels spoke explicitly to the shepherds on the fields. We looked at this verse last week. I got to read it again because I think there's a word in here from the angel that we can grab a hold of and get some clarity today. It says in Luke chapter two, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified but the angel said to them do not be afraid i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people i read this in several translations this week and i noticed that the newer translations left a word out that most of the older translations have and sometimes that's neither here nor there but in this case i think it matters Because in the older translations, it reads like this. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. See, the modern translations skip the word behold. I I guess they just look at it as an English archaism. One of those old-fashioned poetic things you just say. It sounds Shakespearean and King James and irrelevant. But it is relevant. If you read it in the original Greek, it was written in... There's a word that's translated there, behold. And so what essentially what he's saying when he says, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings. What he's actually saying is don't be afraid, be perceiving. I'm telling you the gospel. Isn't that good? Don't be afraid, be perceiving. Behold, I'm telling you the good news. That's what shifts your perspective. That's what makes fear vanish. That's what brings peace. It's in what you're beholding. And what was the good news that he said focus on? The angel goes on to say, a savior is born. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Can I just say to you today, if you're looking for peace, if you're longing for peace, peace in your heart with God, peace within, peace with others, you have to behold Jesus as Savior. You can't behold him as as a moral authority. You can't just behold him as a religious teacher. You can't behold him as, as a good example. You have to behold him as Savior. Which means, and this is the really hard part, we have to admit our own weaknesses. We have to admit that we need a savior, that we need rescued, and that's the, that's the struggle. It's not in seeing how great God is; it's it's in seeing that I'm not great enough and acknowledging Him as Savior. So, what's the what's the motivation for that? To come to the place where I recognize Jesus is Savior. We'll read a little farther because the answer is in the Angel's Proclamation. He goes on to say he's been born to you and he is the messiah the lord in other words the angel says this baby that's in a manger is the son of god and so when you go scurrying off to the nativity and you gaze in at that baby you can have confidence that the god of heaven cared for you so much that he came all the way down to be emmanuel god with us And knowing that he would do that for you ought to compel you to behold to perceive the gospel it was 51 years ago in 1961 April 12th that Yuri Gagarin was the first person a cosmonaut to go into space just a young man but he had an awesome responsibility to chronicle for mankind what existence outside of Earth's realm actually looked like. And the statement that was published and circulated around the world upon his return to Earth was this, now I know that God does not exist because I was there and I didn't see him. Well, C.S. Lewis read that statement And he wrote an article in response to it. C.S. Lewis wrote an article called The Seeing Eye. And he said, if there is a God who created us, we could not discover him by going up into the air. God would not relate to human beings the way a man on the second floor relates to a man on the first floor. He would relate to us the way Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world and of Hamlet himself. Hamlet can know about Shakespeare only if the author reveals information about himself in the play. So too, the only way to know about God is if God has revealed himself. Church, can I tell you today? The claim of Christmas is so much more than God wrote some information. The claim of Christmas is that God put himself in the production. He cast himself in the story. And he came to reveal himself to us in the flesh. And you can behold him. Steadfast. Doing whatever is necessary to keep your focus. Leaning completely on Christ Jesus. I want to pray for you today as we conclude this service. I'm going to ask everyone in the room and online, would you just bow your head with me? Let this be a moment that you just lock out every distraction. Focus in on the Lord. Maybe you're hearing this today and the peace that you need is peace with God. Peace with God. Can I tell you today, peace with God is a gift, unopened and under the tree right now. The word of the Lord says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is that unrighteousness that has broken the bond of peace between you and God. And his word says, all you have to do is confess it, acknowledge it, acknowledge that you need a savior. He is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. And if you'll acknowledge him and you'll confess your sin, peace can be restored in your heart and in your soul. Can I encourage you, do it right now. Just call out, Jesus, I receive your peace. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Jesus, I give you my life. Maybe you're here today and you need to have peace with others. It's more than just divisions with people that sit on other sides of the political aisle. Maybe it's in your own home, just too many hours under the same roof. There's been tension in your relationship with your marriage. There's been tension in your relationship with your kids. Maybe it's those family members that that you're gonna be sitting around the table with later this week and, and you dread it unless God does something. You need him to bring peace. Behold the Savior Christ the Lord right now in this moment and know that he has come to tear down the barrier wall of hostility whatever that wall is if it's unforgiveness if it's shame if it's regret if it's mistrust if it's manipulation if it's lies if it's offense he came to tear down the wall of hostility and to bring peace with you and others Maybe you're here and you need God to give you that third dimension of His peace in your life today. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that you're unsure about where you're gonna spend an eternity, and it's not that, that you don't have people around you that you love and who love you, but it's, it's when you lay your head on your pillow at night, it's that peace within that's missing. It's the anxiety, it's the fear, it's the dread, it's the worry, it's the depression. That is pressing down on you today. Don't be afraid. Be perceiving. God has come to dwell with you. Behold his peace today. Father, would you touch your people today? Would you give us your peace? Thank you, Jesus, that you said, My peace. I give you my peace. I leave with you. God, give us your peace today. And may it stay with us and sustain us. In Jesus' name, we receive it. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. Can we just give God praise together for his word spoken over us? Amen, amen.